Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. A very very happy new year to everyone listening in. I'm your host Jivraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with the co-founder and CEO of Mobile Premier League Sai Srinivas. MPL is the largest esports and gaming platform in the country as it offers over 60 plus competitive real money games to a user base of over 90 million people. It is leading our gaming revolution and is paving the way for a gaming giant built for the world from India. Founded in 2018 by Science Show, MPL has shown phenomenal speed and growth since inception. having scaled the organization to a size of 1500 impacting over 90 million users across 3 to 4 countries making it one of the most terrific stories of the ecosystem the learnings from building mpl are plentiful and i'm glad to have captured some of them through this conversation through the next 45 minutes you will grasp the intricacies of building a platform in a hyperscale manner from day 1 the nuances of establishing some wonderful cultural traits and scaling it deliberately via processes how sai has evolved through his diverse journeys how he deals with externalities thinks about competition and is approaching the build for the world ambition thus without further ado let's dive in to the 82nd episode of the indian silicon valley podcast building India's largest gaming platform with Sai Srinivas of MPL. Thank you so much Sai for joining me. I'm absolutely delighted to be hosting you today. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to this chat. Great to hear that Sai and I think MPL is one of those stories that I as an ecosystem enthusiast have really looked up to because I think the scale at which you've grown the speed at which you've grown more importantly and the kind of disruption you're doing not just in India but across the world now is absolutely spectacular so I'm hoping to get a few nuggets of learnings from this journey and more through this conversation but to get us started I want to really understand the kind of clarity of vision and ambition you had when the MPL journey got started because from day one you've been very clear about the size of the market about the kind of market you want to go after the pmf was also very clear thankfully enough for mpl from day one and so the ambition even got more further amplified right so if you can give us a brief overview of what was it like to start mpl what was the kind of structure you had when starting up and any cues that you might have for early builders when they're looking at markets when they're considering the kind of products they want to build for the future Sure. Uh, thank you so much for that uh, question. See, I think from my perspective, MPL was my second rodeo, right? Like, so I in my first avatar, we started a hardware company, right? And I think the one thing we kind of realized after running that company for three years and then exiting is that we were very clear, both me and my co-founder, that this time, whenever we start, we are not going to touch the physical world. We are not going to do anything with atoms. The only thing we will focus on is pipes. And we said that's the first rule that we set for ourselves. I think the second rule that we set for ourselves was that we wanted to be in an industry where revenue is from day zero. We personally didn't want to build a company where uh, revenue is delayed. and and at times we tend to forget this even in our own company when we are trying to make some new products and stuff like that 
but you know in the early days we used to always say revenue delayed is revenue denied so i think ensuring that your revenue your your business model is watertight right from day zero i think the thing with a business model is that if your business is built on a sound model very clear business model that this is this is your revenue this is your cost etc so on and so forth and you have clarity of that i think you as a business will always survive at times you might go through tough periods at times you might be in happy zones but you know the business model is sound but if the business model is not sound then man like you know it's uh, it's all party till the till there's a high tide and then you know you're always scared you know when people are going to catch you with your pants down when the tides out right so so i think for us uh, for us that was very very important and and especially because we came from a really really tough experience after a first startup when building hardware is not easy and the third thing we decided was uh, that we want to be in a downstream market what i mean by a downstream market is a market which has a lot of tailwinds behind it we didn't want to be in a market where you know we have to go and keep rowing and rowing and rowing right and we we used to say this we still say this uh, markets are like rivers you can't change their course it's up to you to choose whether you're rowing downstream or whether you're rowing upstream if you're rowing upstream you can be the best rower in the world but to the outside world you'd still look very mediocre and if you're in a downstream market even if you're like a very average rower outside world says oh man these guys are killing it but honestly more often than not it's the market doing what it's doing so so for us it was very very clear that these were the tenets right and and before we even get to how we came to the problem and so on and so forth these were the tenets and i was very lucky to have worked at zynga at the beginning of my career as a game designer and as a product manager so i i always always had my choice gaming found me by accident right i didn't go searching for gaming right and and i'm very grateful for the time that i spent at zynga with some of the most exceptional people uh, that i've ever worked with and what i always honestly felt is that the gaming is a confluence of three things coming together you need data you need device and you need payments either one of these pillars are missing then it won't fly because if it's only data and device yes people will come and play games but how are you going to make money you can't so you need all these three things and i think in 2018 when we started upi had just taken off in 2016 september so upi was coming off coming off of a year long run and it was doing incredibly well and that kind of changed the entire momentum of the market and for me i've always believed personally i've always believed that gaming in the long term is going to be a professional sport like anything out there and i used to play a lot of eight ball pool on 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 my mobile phone right i used to play it for hours together and i always used to wonder is there a place where i can go register for tournaments and honestly because i always wanted to play competitively with uh, other people and when i couldn't find that and i was telling shub uh, my co-founder that hey man we should build a platform where people can compete in games in tournaments and you know they can earn prize money and shub was like dude that's the most ridiculous idea ever right and i mean i still can't believe that you know both of us felt it was so ridiculous and it was so stupid but uh, the fact of the matter our realization after that is that it's the stupid ideas that usually tend to work because they're so simple and they're so easy to understand rather than the rather than the complicated ones so our entire company score vision and the core customer value prop is very simple we want to build products which enable users to earn money and be recognized by playing games as simple as that right and we believe that there are multiple ways of doing that right and the the entire ambit of how large gaming is going to be in the world in the next 10 years is it's going to be it's going to be probably the most the biggest markets the biggest market in the world because if if there is so there's so much scope there there's just so much you could do right and so much of creativity that can that you can put into it like it's just endless so that was that was how we started and that was the genesis and that was our core customer value proposition and that's what that's what's still driving us even to the day
No, that that's awesome. I think there's a lot of you know a lot of great guardrails to building a company from scratch there. And for everyone listening in, a lot of food for thought. So thanks for walking us through that. But interestingly enough, you know, I, I mean, I've read up on you, so I know this. But for context, you went from uh, you know going to science competitions, winning awards, to becoming very enthusiastic about aerospace engineering, to becoming enthusiastic about product, to gaming, uh, to design. I think right, and then you started a hardware company to now leading. a gaming company the personal evolution seems uh, like very steep there right so do you have any maybe guardrails for how you have personally grown alongside your peers in this journey and what have maybe you know what are some changes that have positively impacted your career span your ideology as a founder and even as an entrepreneur right so thank you for that uh, question uh, i think uh, you know jivraj i've been very very fortunate to have been at the right place at the right time multiple times in my life and uh, i think people often tend to think that you know when they do well they think hey you know i killed everything and i did a great job and when you do things badly you think oh man i screwed everything up but the fact of the matter is it's never that way it's always somewhere in between and for all of us who are you know i'd say reasonably successful and uh, have a reasonably decent career i think there's a lot of right place right time to be thankful for and from my perspective i think i was in iit kanpur in two, from 2006 to 2010 and the advantage of being in iit kanpur at that time was that iit kanpur had internet as good or even better than what we have today in our homes back then in the campus so it kind of gave us a sneak peek of how the future was going to be and and it's it was it was remarkable right to think of internet that fast you know we do we could download movies at like 10 seconds no 10 seconds is a little too much but in a minute right and it's just quite ridiculous right so and we were and for me that was and it was the first time i was actually exposed to internet at that scale and that speed right so the the amount of things that it was just like you know how do i put it it was like a kid in a candy park or a candy store or like you know and i think the the thing for me that's always been very important is that i've always wanted to build products and it really didn't matter which kind of a product it is and i really am not too fussed or perturbed about failure so so just so you know in even in iit in my four years i failed five courses and i managed to make it out in time in four years i mean it's not something to be proud of to be honest right you know given an option i'd love to go back and like you know not not do that right but what what they fundamentally taught me was that failure at in that instant seems to be like a big deal but in the long run it just makes you much much more tolerant right and what that did for me was that it made me very open minded to actually try new things and keep trying new things right so i've never been one to say that you know i won't build this product or i won't build that product i always have been of the opinion that i'll do whatever i feel like right and if i feel like building hardware i'll go build hardware if i feel like making a game i'll go make a game if i feel like you know building say some other product i'll go build that product and uh, and and from my point of view i think that is probably the best way you can go about nurturing your skill and i believe that i'm a product builder first and an entrepreneur after so given a choice in life uh, you know between being an entrepreneur and a product builder some some people think both of them are same so be it i'd always choose building product over over being an entrepreneur so for me i think i think it's it's the steep learning is a byproduct of just just valuing the freedom to do what i want to do more than anything else right so for me that freedom matters the most and if that freedom comes in a seed funded 4 million uh, you know 4 million dollar seed funded startup or a 2 million dollar seed funded startup or whatever a uh, half a billion dollar 
company that's equally good for me very interesting i think that's that's great food for thought because it's just about i mean a lot of people are in the ecosystem still but how it's about how can you utilize and leverage those factors in favor of you if you are given that privilege to be there at the right time so i think uh, that's it's amazing to hear side uh, i think further you know i want to focus on i think probably what really stands out about mpl is the speed and the scale at which you've grown right uh, to put things into perspective and if i'm not wrong with my numbers it's been 3 years 2.3 billion dollars in valuation more than 90 million consumers across uh, three to four countries and approximately 1400 1500 odd team members right that's what you've achieved in a short duration of 3 years uh, help us understand what allows you to grow at this velocity constantly and also how do you maintain the dna of being a small company still because i'm guessing that so much of growth at the start and the hockey stick growth looks good at the start because you know you have the advantage of being able to do what whenever but when you have the responsibility of being a large company how do you ensure you can maintain that balance and continue to grow at that velocity i think i'd love your perspective on that front Sure. I mean, see, I think to be brutally honest on ourselves, I think we've been very, very fast in the first two, two and a half years of our company's life. I mean, honestly, this year I think we've been a little slow. Just being, being very honest and reflecting back on our company, I think by our own standards, I'd rate ourselves at a C at best. And I think a large part of it is, like you said, you know, this uh, constant tussle between being a large company or I don't know why we are a large company but you know I think we are in the larger scheme of things we are a drop in the ocean right but and and being nimble and being a startup right so and so that's the reason I'll focus more on the first two two and a half years and this is something which is honestly top of mind for both me and my co-founder and we are actively actively changing how we work and for us and what we keep saying internally is we are a band of startups now right so if you if you can't move fast you move out as simple as that right so Uh, so the first two two and a half years, I think one of the core founding principles of the company is that we always value outcome more than output. So that essentially means we really don't care if you work three hours a week, you know, twenty hours a week or a hundred hours a week. It's up to you, right? The goal is to go and go after the outcome. So there are there are people who are really really good at what they do, and they know how to plan their work properly. And for us, we've always gone after people like that, and we've hired those people. Even if you go to one of the things we are very, very grateful for, to be honest, and in fact proud of, is if you go, you know, and just do a quick search on the kind of people that we've been able to attract and the kind of people we've been able to bring into the company. I mean, these are these are exceptional people, right? These are people who are at the top of the game in their respective fields by at least the top ten, top fifteen. Uh, folks in their in their field. In fact, we were just talking about it, right? We now are at a point where we are able to attract art directors and engineering talent from some of the top gaming companies in the world, like like you know, uh, like Supercell, like Riot, like you know, uh, different different gaming companies in the world. And we, for us, we always feel that moving fast is actually not a function of hustle, but it's actually a function of clarity of knowing where you're going. So if you have clarity of knowing where you're going, then you will get there, right? And people think people often make this mistake of thinking moving fast is hustling, right? Uh, moving fast is hustle is important, but hustle always comes next to knowing where you want to go, right? Having this absolute clarity of saying, "Ki you know, I need to get there." Like in in Hindi, we keep saying, "Ki dalat Delhi jana tha par pounds ke kahi aur." Like you know, having the clarity of knowing, "Ki this is where you want to get to," and like you know, uh, "This is what I want to build," and having that clarity, right? So the first two two and a half years, I think that clarity was 
was was paramount and because it was a smaller team people moved faster people had that clarity and i think as as the company grew i think some of these automatically become a little slow because people are not as fearless as they were before because the newer the newer set of folks who come in you know aren't going to be as comfortable as some of the older folks and also that being said there was a lockdown and people were working from home so it, it's it's difficult to imbibe those values and those the, that spirit of working when everyone's working out of a zoom window right so so i think for us it's always been that clarity of knowing where we want to go i think as a company when we know that this is where we want to go we inevitably usually get there uh, because building has never been a challenge for us this is the same set of folks who built a mobile phone in a year flat so 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 for us we've been always blessed with exceptionally capable engineering talent thanks to my co-founder so so building has never been a challenge so the issue is you know he, he does the build what should we build and where and you know where are we headed right so so for anyone who wants to go fast i think the key is to know where you're going and if you can ensure that everybody in your team symmetrically understands that in the same way then you as a team will inevitably move fast there's never a situation where you'll move slow got it fair enough i think so much of what i've heard is optimizing for direction over simply speed and of course focusing and over indexing on outcomes more than just output as you i think mentioned in the past as well i love those i love those ideologies i i think further you know i i'm sure no great company and it's safe to call mpl a great one miles to go for sure but uh, what you've achieved in the short duration i think i'm just uh, over indexing on that but the underlying factor being no great company is built without a great set of people and you've focused on that as well but there are certain cultural traits that you've spoken of in the past that I want to double click on and maybe you know help us understand better uh, one of them is process orientation and that is almost counterintuitive to the sense that you know when you think of innovation disruption you often don't bracket it in a structural process oriented manner but considering startups also have that and you are a huge proponent of process i'd love to understand how do you process for innovation disruption and how do you build that at scale with the kind of people that you attract i i think uh, any cues there would be helpful right so uh, thank you again jivraj for that question see i think people misunderstand processes in fact my entire company misunderstood process just being very very honest i think people misunderstand process saying that everything should have a process right no that's not what we mean what we mean when we say process is is processes fundamentally are designed to avoid information asymmetry in the company that's fundamentally why a process is designed the second reason why a process is designed is to avoid mistakes so that if you for example if i were to ask you what is the process for crossing the road like look left look right once it turns green walk right imagine if there was no process i'm sure a lot of people were you know would be would, would get would get run over right so fundamentally processes are designed to just avoid mistakes and and i think it's a way careful balance that a company has to craft between places where you have to put process and places where you should avoid process we as a company have also learned that over the last uh, you know two and a half three years for example what we've always meant for process is like we're very serious about our rituals our rituals meaning our reviews our uh, what we refer to as qrp which is quarterly roadmap planning right we're very serious about these things and these are these rituals are very important because it's important to show up to a ritual prepared and that makes the company a really really disciplined and a fit organization it's like saying it's it's basically getting the company to go to a gym man as simple as that right like you know if there was a gym for a company that's that's what it would be 
it's not like you know writing reimbursement forms and you know all of that stuff right those those are those are not those are the mis- those those are those are not processes right but this is what we mean and and there's a reason why that is important and there's a reason why you need to have uh, you need to have some parts of it built into the company if you don't have that then you essentially run the risk of becoming or whatever you run the risk of becoming a complete Uh, run the risk of becoming chaotic, and you run the risk of becoming like there's a lot of tribal knowledge that gets accumulated, and tribal knowledge can't scale. You you need you need a certain level of uh, structure to help you scale, but you can't overdo it. Also, if you overdo it, you end up becoming slow. So if you talk to me a year down the line, probably I can tell you what is the ideal balance because I can tell you for a fact that in 2021, the the entire company thought process is very important, very very important, and they put processes in 50,000 things. And now we've gone ahead and removed a bunch of those processes, right? So so probably a year down the line, I'll tell you exactly what the balance. But the balance fundamentally is you anything which is numbers oriented, right? Anything which is objective science should ideally always have process. Anything which is creative should ideally avoid. process i think that is the balance at least what i have understood so far but i'll know probably 6 months down the line if i'm right or wrong <laughs> yeah i know for sure and i think the last part of your entire flow of thought summarizes it well but that just sums it up beautifully the second tenant of culture which i think again mpr has done incredibly well is in terms of you know let's say attracting the best kind of talent and then retaining them as well and maybe also letting go if at all as a founder how do you ensure all three of these things scale relatively well because in a organization which is 1000 plus i'm guessing you're not doing a majority of the recruiting right so how do you still pass on these initial things that can be very intuitive for a founder at the 100 115 team member mark sort of a thing but how do you pass that on very intuitively very objectively very deliberately through the organization as you scale i think i would love to understand that aspect of things sure see i think uh, for us uh, see great people like to work at honest places great people like to work at places where information is very transparent good and bad information right if we are all in deep shit we are all in deep shit you know there's nothing to hide from that right we're all doing well we're all doing well you know great people don't people make this mistake of often thinking that great people only like to work at successful places where there's you know crazy amounts of growth it's not the case great people like to work at places which are honest great people like to work at places where people are fundamentally meritocratic and people speak the truth and dishonesty or any kind of you know any kind of dishonest behaviors are completely unacceptable and for us at tempel one of the most important tenets is absolute honesty and trust for our customers and within so that fundamentally enabled us to always attract really really good people and good people the thing is you know when when you're having a conversation with someone who's an exceptionally good data scientist and you know you have an honest conversation saying hey man like things aren't looking good and i'm sure that person would also say hey man yeah i agree things aren't looking good and if he's a good data scientist then he'd work on it and make things better right the same is with an engineer same is with a product manager right uh, i think for us fundamentally that's always been at the core and we've never never left that right even till date the one thing i can tell you is every single guy in our industry knows our numbers and it's transparent it's open right every single guy in the company can access it everything right all the way from the customers num uh, dao to all the way to revenue it's completely out in the open multiple times people have come and said hey man you know what our numbers are so open it's like big deal man like it's me chupane ki kya baat hai jo hai so hai i mean you're you're doing well you're doing well you're not doing well you're not doing well the the cost of 
being secretive and hiding things like this is in the short term it might say oh you know what we are it's it's we are we are protecting ourselves no but in the long run you're being stupid and i think the first is that then the second thing is one of our core principles is to always hire people better than yourself and and for from for us it starts right at the top and that essentially means that both me and my co-founder have always found people who are better than ourselves and we've trusted them fully and we've given them complete flexibility and freedom so if if you even look at our if you even if you even speak to some of our leaders one of the things they'll tell you is that we're very hands off right we don't tell them what to do how to do so like the thing we keep saying within our company is or we started saying this more clearly now is that the things that we want our team members to value is that they always have the freedom to choose they will always have the courage to act and they can always trust that we've got their back right so so those are our values right so you know if if that's the case then you know more often than not good people tend to come and the thing with good people is they attract other good people and the good people being very honest aren't the ones who are making a lot of noise on social media I mean, if you're a really good data scientist, boss, you don't have that much time, right? To you know, go and make a lot of noise. The good people are the ones who are tucked away in the corners, writing code, doing doing all the hard work, and you know, they tend to attract other such good people, right? So, as a company, we prefer we prefer that, and that's the reason why I believe, at least, that's my take, and I might be wrong, but that's my take as to why we've had some luck with people. And in terms of retaining people, dude, like I said. you can talk about 50000 things people talk about perks motorcycles and god knows what else in today's world but i think a transparent and an honest workplace is is probably the most important thing honest honesty at the core of it is what makes good people stick and in terms of say letting go of people see man every startup which is worth its salt always has you know people it always has come to a situation where they've had to let some people go uh i'm sure that will come in impels time also i mean it'd be foolish of me to say hey you know what oh kabhi nahi hoga it's bound to happen sometime right uh, hopefully not but you know if it does so be it and uh, and the thing there is it's it's uh, always remember that company as the leadership team of the company your job and your responsibility is to always keep the company first and do what's right for the company and that's how we approach it right and so far so good and we've been very lucky honestly with the kind of people we've been able to get that that's fabulous all of it i think boils down to some really cool fundamentals right being very simplistic about things and appealing to the core things that drive people which is again honesty trust and just comfort level and then going to the good people so i love the simplicity at the back of some great principles that you've established at mpl thanks for walking us through that side uh, i think i want to shift gears now and as we go on to you know maybe concludingly parts of the conversation one very fascinating aspect of your business is dealing with externalities what i mean by that is there's so many things you can control but there will always be some things that you can't in which case because it is in the gaming space there are things which are unregulated things that are being uh, formulated as you go ahead there's this google thing that happened and a bunch of other things right uh, as a founder and as the leadership of you know a 1000 plus uh, member team how do you ensure you kind of you know make peace with things that you cannot control and what do you do about those to begin with because i think that is absolutely fascinating to know yeah yeah i mean this this answer changed every year every three months after starting the company to be honest like i think uh, see i think the thing which is the most important thing in any company is product market fit man and doing what's right for your customer and in our opinion if you do what's right for your customer and you have product market fit neither google nor facebook nor 
nobody can stop you from reaching your customer. And not only us, but there are so many other fantastic companies out there in the space who who proven that time and time and time again. See, I think the first one year of this company's journey, I was a very paranoid human being. Just being brutally honest, right? I was extremely paranoid, right? I I mean, I used to practically be up all the time. I used to have all the alerts on my phone. I used to like literally chase people down and I used to like, you know, wake them up in the middle of the night. Not from a sense of uh, waking them up and say, asking them questions, but more from a sense, more more from a place of waking them up and asking them, hey man, is everything okay? Is, is this, you know, it's coming from a point of, uh, uh, from yeah, concern more than anything else, right? And I think, and I think what we've learned over the last two, two and a half, three years is that you know your business affects only the company, but policy always affects the industry. So whenever we're looking at policy, it's always important that we work together with the industry. And over the last two, two and a half years, I think one of the good things that's happened as uh, is that the industry has constantly worked together. The industry has made representations in some cases you know some uh, some states some states understood it accepted it some states are on the verge of making some breakthrough uh, you know landmark regulations and some states didn't and that's fine and in our point of view in in our point of view we believe that any industry that's worth its weight will go through this any industry that is a forward looking futuristic industry which 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 has meaningful revenues at stake would have to go through this it's the cost of growing up if you'd asked me this question a year and a half back i would have I would have probably given you a different answer but i think now the way we make peace with it is that the way we make peace with it is that just keep doing what's right for your customer right sometimes things fall your on your side of the table sometimes things don't but like i said the difference between business and policy is that business only affects you policy affects the entire industry and when it's an entire industry then the industry together has a meaningful voice and at the same time when you are in an industry like when you're building products which are gaming in, in gaming and when you're and it's an industry which is also very high potential sunrise but also has associated risks it's foolish to assume that there are no risks and uh, you know everything's hunky dory it's important that the industry also acts responsibly works together and behaves responsibly and i think i think that is something which we together as an industry i believe have still some way to go i think i think the more maturity we show there and the more togetherness we show there i think will will take us a long way i mean this is my learning over the last 3 years or 3 and a half years like i said uh one year into this company's journey i had no clue man i had absolutely no clue like it was just like okay things are moving things are moving what's happening i don't know <laughs> like you know i hope i hope everything's okay but as things went on you know we started understanding and learning more things and also that being said now we have an exceptionally great team that helps us manage and run all of these things yeah no for sure i think uh, that that's very insightful in the sense that it is going to be a level playing field for the entire industry so it has to be a collective effort and there's only so much you can do as an individual as an individual entity in the ecosystem so i think the collaboration aspect is absolutely amazing and looking forward to some like really great breakthroughs there but you know i i want to focus on another great aspect that i think uh, most of the mpl leadership has been vocal about which is in terms of developer growth in the sense that you know you speak about a stakeholder that 
that let's say a lot of people would not focus on because everybody can talk about consumers and to their own merit of course but you have been vocal about the fact that you want developers to grow you want their productivity up there and that stakeholder management aspect as a founder and leadership really echoes help us understand what are the kind of initiatives that MPL has done and what is the kind of priority that you maybe map developers for and how do you enable that within I think that would be great to hear from an educational standpoint as to what MPL has been able to do for its developers. Yeah, I mean, to straight out of the bat, to be very honest, I mean, I think this there's a supremely long way to go. I think the developer ecosystem, especially around games in India, is still very, 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 very naive, or I'd say very nascent, nascent and naive both. I think I've always said this, the, the advantage of the film industry is that language protects them, but games have no language. So from day zero, you're actually fighting with the world. And which is a good thing and also a bad thing. I mean, Hollywood will struggle to make a Hindi cinema, but games, there's nothing like that, right? It's the same game the whole world plays, right? That's the beauty of games. It's the universal language. See, from, from our point of view, I think our growth is tied to developer growth because we want our developers to make great games. But at the same time, it's a chicken and egg problem because there aren't any meaningfully large game developers who are working on ambitious projects in India. You, you, have, you have great games. Don't get me wrong, right? You have fantastic games out there. But, but you know, I think it's still some time away, hopefully in the next year, that, um, you know, a game like, say, a PUBG or a game like, say, a Genshin Impact or maybe a game like, uh, you know, even Clash of Clans comes out of India. I think uh, that's when the true value unlocking is going to happen. Games, net-net is still an import-heavy industry. Right? Let, me, let me put it that way, right? And what are we doing, right? What are we doing? I think the first and foremost thing for us to do is to be ambitious ourselves. And hopefully in, in the near future, you will see some, some of the stuff coming out, right? It's, we've, been, we've been extremely fortunate. We've been extremely lucky to have had the kind of funding, to have had the kind of people and to gotten to the point that we've gotten. And if we don't take that responsibility and try, try. I mean, whether we succeed or not, nobody can guarantee but at least if we don't take that responsibility of trying to make something like that happen ourselves, first and foremost, we can't expect others to put their money till the time we don't put our money where our mouth is, right? Uh, if we don't try, then I think we're doing a horrible disservice to ourselves and to the ecosystem, right? So first and foremost, that's that's how I'd look at it, right? It's Money in an industry is actually always the second thing. You need really capable people going out and saying, I'll make a really, really big game. And I can see some of that happening. The problem with game development, unlike say some of the other startups or the other startup industries is that, you know, to make to make nothing to take away from food delivery products or e-commerce, or they're all hard businesses to run, very, very hard businesses to run. But those products can be taken to market in three months, four months. You can build an MVP, get it to the market, test develop, build, 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 and so on and so forth, right? You can't do that with games, man. You just can't. You, yeah, it's like, it's like telling, telling a director that you know, MVP launch your movie, ka, right? Then show it to some people and then like, you know, it's not going to work. And, and therefore, by their very definition, they, they take longer to build. They take more time to perfect. And that patience, unfortunately, is not there in our industry. That uh, we, we unfortunately are constant rat race of counting unicorns. And we should get out of that, to be honest, right? You know, nothing changes if you're a unicorn. In fact, one of the things I was telling one of my investors is, thank God this nonsense is out of my life now, right? Like, you know, I can just 
sit, sit, sit back and just focus on building product and doing what's right for the company. So from a game point of view, I think that is, I think, the real challenge. And what are we doing for it? Like I said, first and foremost, take some of that mantle ourselves. Second, wherever we find good game developers, we at least try to ensure that we bring them onto the platform and we help them make revenue so that they can go to the next step. Third is, you know, we actively, actively, you know, work on bringing other game studios and teaching them and say at times helping them with the game design and so on and so forth. But it's a long road, Jeevraj, right? You know, don't expect, you know, don't don't expect us to get a rocket to the moon <laughs> the next year. It's, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take a while, right? And, but what we can tell is that we are here and we are here for good and we will deliver a game of that quality from India, hopefully in the near future. Absolutely. I don't think anybody would doubt that. And we'll wait for as long as it takes, because I think the focus more importantly, and the intent is one that really echoes for the supply side of what your business model is as well. And I think that's just wonderful to witness. And like other things, we'll probably take more time to get there. But when we do, we'll be probably world class. So uh, this has been wonderful, Sai. And as we, you know, close down the episode, I want to quickly touch your, you know, thoughts on what do you think about competition, not from a business model perspective, but only purely from a perspective of product usage, because you've spoken in the past about how this is a mindshare thing, how this is a content versus distribution versus product thing as well. And so that perspective is usually unheard of because you look at an industry, you'll take three companies and, you know, market map, whatnot, right? But you've taken a different approach to it where you take a very wide canvas to what your competition could potentially be and accordingly map the future. Talk to us about how you think about that and what is the underlying ideology behind it i think that'd be great to hear sure see i think uh, one thing but uh, there's this really good game designer that i had the opportunity of working at at zynga and uh, you know he said something very profound right no matter the game whatever game it is every game has a sunrise every game has a plateau and every game has a sunset that's the ultimate truth about games so right from day zero the reason why we took a we took a broad canvas is that we believe that we believe that distribution, having the power of distribution and having the power of enabling content on a platform and gaming content on a platform is way more powerful in the longer run than being fixated or married to any category. And it's just a different thought for each zone, right? In some cases, the sticking to one category is also provided like in the case of fantasy or in the case of Rami or some of the other, you know, they've done exceptionally well, right? The reason why we chose that is that we believe in the longer run, distribution is what's going to matter the most. And we believe that having that power to distribute at scale is going to be very, very valuable. Our opinion of competition in general always is that unless you're a single category player, unless you're a single category player, you are constantly a function of the quality of games you put on board. Like we also have those single categories on our platform. We, we continuously develop those single categories. And in fact, we, we put a lot of focus and energy on making those as good as the best products out there. And in some cases, we are in fact the best product out there. In some cases, we are probably second or third, but that's, that's, that's for another day, right? But I think the advantage that you have fundamentally is that you want to be a shopping mall, right? You don't, you don't want to be a boutique shirt store. The advantage of being a shopping mall is people come in the mall to hang out, man. Like, you know, you don't go to a shirt store unless you want to buy a shirt. Let me just put it that way. Of course, shirt market can be very, very big. But, but you know, the advantage of being a mall is like, you know, you can go there, hang around, like buy a pair of socks, go play a game, go watch a movie, you know, uh, get a Coke and, you know, <laughs> then go back home, right? 
So, and this is this philosophy was something which is very clear to us. And 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 from our point of view, one of the best parts about the industry that we are in is that it's extremely competitive and it's extremely revenue generative also. Right? This is one of those industries which is my god, insane competition and insane competition not in a way where you know it's like everybody is burning crazy amounts of VC money. Right? It's it's a good revenue business. It's it's a business where there's an entrenched there entrenched old large operators and then there are the new guys. So it's 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 a lot of fun. Like for me, honestly, the reason why this we've been able to grow this well is also thanks to our competition, right? Like you know, uh, there's a lot that we've learned from them, lot that we continue to learn from them. And having such great competition means you're actually world first. What I'm, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. This is one of those rare industries where the competition in India is probably 10x more than the competition in the US or anywhere else in the world. So by default, your product will end up being one of the best in the world. If you didn't have that kind of competition in your home market, then boss, it's very difficult for you to actually go out there and champion the world. So so honestly, if someday MPL, hopefully Touchwood becomes a global product, then a, a large part of that credit goes to our competition that we have in India. Absolutely. No, I think I love that purely because I think that that provides a level playing field for everyone. And the white canvas is also a testament to the original point that we spoke about regarding, you know, the ambition that needs to be there, the large market that it is. So I think it all ties back and the circle gets completed. Um, This has been amazing, Sai. And for the last question, I want to, in fact, build on the last part. And I say this for the last because one of the foremost things that MPL is also doing is championing the cause for building a global consumer product from India for the world. And I think that is an ambition that remains to be unfulfilled. I'm sure we're going to get there and somebody, hopefully MPL will get us there. But that is, of course, a challenge that in and of itself. And MPL has been able to establish itself in Indonesia. You're now in USA as well. Help us understand what goes on in the background, because from the outside, it all seems very gloomy. It all seems very supportive. And we're all cheering for you but what are the intricacies of being able to achieve this and what do you think the next five years are for mpl uh, i think that'd be a great great note to end what has been a fabulous conversation yeah so i think see first and foremost man like you know it's still a long way out in the us and in indonesia it's but the, the us especially is a humongously large market like it's humongous it's crazy how big that market is see i think for us, we always wanted to do this. We always felt that we want to be the global arena for competitive gameplay. And the problem, however, is that you're always constantly battling. It's a battle of focus. and You have to have great people focusing on each of these. Only then will you be able to scale. And it's also a battle of, it's also a battle of getting the right kind of investors. I think a lot of Indian investors or a lot of folks in India the first question they ask is, why are you focusing on the US? Why don't you focus on India? It's such a big market. You know, life is so great. You know, do India, you know, just focus on India. I mean, it's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong in that. You can focus on India. But if there was a company that's, if we were a company that started out in the Valley, I'm sure that, you know, most of the VCs there would be saying, hey, you know what? Find great talent, figure out a way to go to other geographies, grow your revenues. It's going to be painful. It's going to be tough. You know, you might have to shut a few countries, then open a few countries. You might have to go through a lot of turmoil. But guess what? On the other side, you would be a product that's running in 10 different countries. I think I think it's that ideology change for, for folks in our country. And there are many, many great products now that are doing that. In SaaS, I think we've killed it, right? To all the credit to that industry, man. They've, they've, they've really killed it. I think now, hopefully, hopefully someone in B2C will, will, will do that. And, you know, if 
I hope we can do it. But if not, you know, I I'm sure someone's going to do it. And I think it's all about one company going and doing it well, right? And if one company does a good job of it, trust me, man, then the floodgates are open because all all we as an ecosystem need is belief. And we needed a Flipkart to show us belief that you know we can also build startups and. and then you've seen what happened right now we are counting unicorns by the day right and i think in in the near future hopefully one someone will go and build a really wonderful global product and i think one such company is is you know one some of those companies are coming out of like for example polygon it's an indian company now people across the world are using their infrastructure right so i'm sure more such companies will come Absolutely, that's the hope for. I hope everyone listening in, and that's where the name of the podcast also comes from. Uh, anyway, I think this has been absolutely terrific. Thank you so much, Sai, for being your candid self and for sharing your learnings in a manner that has been so fluid. MPL is definitely such a great story in the ecosystem, and we're all cheering for it from the sidelines for it to become a humongous, humongous company. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you, thank you. No, it was a lot. It was awesome fun. Thank you for the questions, and I hope your audience enjoys it as well. Awesome. With that, we come to the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're finding value with the podcast, do follow it on the audio streaming platform of your choice. Drop in a review and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter. to get all the updates directly on your inbox thanks again i will see you next week for another episode till then i hope you recall if you never try you'll never know stay tuned and keep building